In the fall, we come to uh, nearing the end of the three-year lectionary cycle on which texts are drawn throughout the year. Uh, the final Sunday is Christ the King Sunday, which is usually the Sunday before Thanksgiving. And we have been, uh, in as much as we've been following the lectionary the last several weeks, have been in the Gospel of Luke, and many of the readings have been parables. Today we have another parable of Luke, and it is found um, in Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to the judge and saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. For a while, the judge refused. But later, he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by her continual coming. And the Lord said to his disciples, Listen to what this unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will God delay long in helping them? I tell you, God will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the word of the Lord. So in several of Jesus' parables, particularly in the Gospel of Luke, there are two main characters who stand in clear contrast to one another. For example, there's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. There's the parable of the Pharisee and the publican. There's the parable of the prodigal son and the elder brother. In the parable of the widow and the judge that is before us today, we have this same pattern. A widow feels she has been wronged by an unnamed opponent. She seeks justice in a court of law. The judge whose lot she draws to hear the case neither fears God nor cares about people and refuses to hear the widow's case. But the widow refuses not to be heard. She keeps coming after the judge, coming after the judge, coming after the judge until the judge throws his hands up in exasperation and says, Okay, I'll grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by her continual coming. Now this parable is undoubtedly called the widow and the judge because the widow is heroic and faithful, and the judge is less than ideal. But I've renamed the parable today. I've taken what is called preacher's license and given it a new name. I'm calling it the parable of the judge and the widow 
because I want to look at these characters in reverse order. And mainly because it is actually the judge who receives greater attention in the parable and who is a more developed and nuanced character. So I invite you to follow me along. It's only a four-verse parable, but it's going to be a longer sermon than that. It's amazing how long you can make a sermon last out of just four verses of a parable. It won't be too long, but it'll, it'll be there. So follow me along, and I hope that what will happen is that through these two characters, you might be seeing what Christ might be saying to us. Let us pray. Come Holy Spirit, Heavenly Dove, come kindle the flame of sacred love in these heavy but hopeful hearts of ours. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. So the parable itself covers four verses and the introduction and commentary by Luke and Jesus combined covers another four verses. But within the four verses of the parable itself, the judge is a complex character. Jesus characterizes the judge as neither fearing God nor respecting people. An odd situation for a judge in Israel because fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And wisdom is what judges are supposed to have. Based on when Moses set up the judiciary in Exodus. And based on when Solomon exercised wisdom in helping decide which of two women who were claiming the same infant was the actual mother. Jesus also depicts the judge in this parable as carrying out an inner monologue with himself, as talking with himself, as had the rich fool, the unjust judge, and the prodigal son, characters in other parables found in Luke. But by allowing us as hearers of the parable and as readers of the parable to have access to the innermost thoughts of the judge, Jesus may be holding up for us as a mirror whatever cynicism or faith or mixture of the two the judge has. As we listen to the judge's conversation with himself, we see that he is bluntly honest with himself. I have no fear of God and I have no respect for anyone. This judge is honest both about himself and to himself. Recently I read for the first time The Stranger by Albert Camus. While many of you doubtless read this in high school or college, somehow it had escaped my reading assignments. A year or so ago, Dr. George Para gave me a copy of the book along with some other books that he gave me. He was our, uh, he's our pastor emeritus. This summer I grabbed it off the shelf and took it on vacation with me. Those of you who've read The Stranger may remember that Camus, the author, was French and is often described as one of the fathers of existentialism 
but is also one of the fathers, not fathers, but articulators of atheism. I found him to be an eloquent and clear writer. And as I was this week thinking about the judge in this parable, what I had read from Camus this summer kept coming back. The novel begins with the stranger's words of haunting coldness. Mother died today. Or maybe it was yesterday. I can't be sure. The telegram from the home says, Your mother passed away. Funeral tomorrow. Deep sympathy. The stranger then proceeds to travel the 50 miles from Algiers where he lives to where his mother had lived in the home for aged persons. He attends her funeral, but he does not cry. A week or so later, back home in Algiers, he wanders away from a few friends with whom he's spending a day at the beach, including a woman in whom he is mildly interested. Someone had made a comment to the woman, and he tracks him down in a pointless murder on the beach. He describes it by saying, each successive shot was another loud, fateful rap on the door of my undoing. The stranger is then arrested and he's placed on trial, during which his attorney advises him not to speak. He is convicted and he is sentenced to death. Three times on death row, the stranger refuses to see the prison chaplain. I have very little time left, he says, and I didn't want to waste it on God. Finally, he allows the chaplain to make a visit, but when the chaplain overstays his welcome, he shoes him out of his cell, and then he goes to sleep. When he awakens, he says, for the first time in many months, I thought of mother. There, too, in that home for aged persons, with death so near, mother must have felt like someone on the brink of freedom, ready to start life all over again. No one, no one in the world had any right to weep for her. He then continues, like her, in this cell, I felt ready to start life all over again. I laid my heart open, he said, to the benign indifference of the universe. All that remained for me was that on the day of my execution, there should be a huge crowd of spectators and that they should greet me with howls of curse. And that's the end of the novel. It is very dark. But through allowing us to see the stranger's heart, his interior monologue, 
Camus has given an eloquent, unbridled voice to atheism. I laid my heart open to the benign indifference of the universe. Like the judge in the parable, the stranger neither fears God nor has any regard for people. The judge is as honest about himself and to himself as Camus' stranger. And Jesus is as clear in presenting the judge to us as Camus is clear in presenting the stranger. I didn't say this at the early service, but I'm going to say it now. The reason that I read this, I want to put the thought out there and let you hold on to it, and we're going to come back to it. But the reason that I read this and the reason why I'm focused on the judge is is I've honestly believed in just years that I've been in the Presbyterian Church and, and gotten to know people, you know, particularly about what they do, that, that a lot of us, especially in our work, work in places or circumstances in which it is hard to continue to believe in God. It may be in the life and death situations of the military. It may be in the highest levels of business. It may be in politics. It may be on the assembly line. It may be on the police force. But it is hard at times to not believe that if we open ourselves up, what we're opening ourselves up to is the benign indifference of the universe. And I'm thinking that when the judge says, honestly, I do not fear God and I don't have any respect for people, he's voicing something that we're closer to sometimes than, than we want to be. But that's enough on the judge right now because there is another character in the parable as well, the better known and much beloved widow. In that, Jesus, in that city, Jesus says, there was a widow who kept coming to the judge and saying, grant me justice against my opponent. Now, for centuries, as people have read this parable, the widow and the judge, they focused on the widow, and they have seen in the widow's cries, cries with which we can identify, cries of people much closer to us in time and even geography than the widow. We hear the widow's prayer. In the anguish of parents in our day whose children and youth are slain by stray bullets and drive-by shootings, who are killed by police in ways that to the human eye seem unnecessary and unjust, who are killed in the line of duty by those who target officers of the law. We hear in her prayer, we hear her prayer in the women in Malawi who cannot escape the threat of AIDS for themselves or for their newborn children. We hear her prayer in the cry of Syrian refugees who flee for friendlier shores 
and find so few willing to take them in. I read a story in the Post yesterday where a 17-year-old boy who had a younger sister and a mother and whose father had been killed was described as being silent and depressed in his camp because he's, quote, the man of the family now and utterly doesn't know what to do. We hear her prayer in the parents of the girls unreleased by Boko Haram and in the girls themselves if we could hear their cries. We hear a prayer in the parents of every child, every child, no matter what economic condition, who has a child who cannot seem to get well, who cannot seem to shake an illness, who cannot seem to smile and giggle, walk and talk, eat and breathe like what seems to be every other child we see. And we hear this widow's prayer in the people in our nation, men and women, who have known what it is like to have that which has been created for intimacy, forced or demanded by someone more powerful, and who relive the memories of that humiliation through the public discourse that saturates our various forms of media and news coverage. The widow's prayer is a primal prayer of yearning for God's coming reign on earth. Grant me justice against my opponent. Grant me justice. Grant me justice. It's not a prayer for a parking space. It's not a prayer for tickets to the World Series. Don't really matter anymore. <laughs> it's not even a prayer for the Cubs to win the series matters a lot to a lot of people here. After describing the widow's prayer, Jesus then turns his attention back to the judge. Because this widow keeps bothering me, the judge says, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out with her continual coming. Scholars tell us that the words wear me out literally mean hit me under the eye or slap me in the face. There are two commentators that said this is an image drawn from boxing. I had no idea boxing predated the New Testament, but apparently it does. But so intense is this widow's entreaty to the judge that the judge rules in the widow's favor simply because he doesn't want to show up on the bench with a black eye. But Jesus then tells his disciples who are listening to this parable, that if a judge like this who neither fears God nor respects people will grant justice to a pleading widow, how much more will God grant justice to you, his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will God delay long in helping you? I tell you, Jesus says, God will quickly grant you justice. Nobody at the early service, but I think some of you here, like me, were raised on what we affectionately call the red hymn book in the Presbyterian Church. We we're very sophisticated in our titles of hymn books. The one I was raised on was red. 
And there was a hymn from my childhood that I remember singing in the Presbyterian Church, and it hadn't been in any of the hymnals since, but it points to the how much more character of this promise Jesus makes. Be not dismayed, whate'er be tied, God will take care of you. Beneath his wings of love abide, God will take care of you. Through days of toil, when heart doth fail, God will take care of you. When dangers fierce your path assail, God will take care of you. God will take care of you through every day or all the way. God will take care of you. God will take care of you. Will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? God will take care of you. So now let's go back to the judge one more time. As I indicated earlier, there are three other parables in Luke in which we as hearers or readers are drawn into an internal conversation that a character has with himself. In one of these, as we saw a few weeks ago, an unjust steward draws faint praise from Christ for doing what he needs to do to put his own house in order, even though it means cheating his master further. In another of these, the land of a rich man produces so much abundance that he decides within his own mind to tear down his existing storehouses and to build bigger ones so that he can store everything that he owns. I will then eat, drink, and be merry, he says, because I will have everything. And the most famous of these parables in which somebody talks to themselves is the parable of the prodigal son where a son who has squandered his early demanded and prematurely granted inheritance decides to return home, not because he's answered an altar call, not because he's seen Jesus, not because he's he's given his life to Christ, not because he's had a great repentance, but because he's hungry. And the only place he can get food that's of better quality than that he is feeding the pigs, is to go home. And he says to himself, I will return to my father. And we get to see his internal thoughts, just like we do of this judge. When Jesus ends his parable by saying to his disciples, When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on earth? Jesus is surely referring to the widow's determined prayer. But I cannot help but wonder, is it possible that in the judge's decision to grant a widow a measure of justice just so he will be safe I'm wondering if in that expedient decision, that pragmatic turning, that let's go home because that's where I can find food, I'm wondering if in that action Jesus is seeing a ray of hope, a seed of faith on which he is not yet ready to give up 
on this judge. Perhaps those of us whose faith and life more closely resemble the judge than the widow do in fact have reason to take heart. Even if like the stranger, we have become so jaded that all we can do is look upward and see the benign indifference of the universe. Perhaps as Christ gazes back to us, he sees within us a hint of benign difference. Even if we feel we have very little time left and we're not going to waste it on God, perhaps Christ, noticing the innermost, thought, innermost thoughts of our heart, slows the clock down and brings it to a virtual halt to give us the time to see in the universe something different than indifference. Amen.